1 Peter 2, 18 through 20. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Thank you, Ron. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Why do we work? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be, a, wouldn't it be a lot more fun if we didn't have to work? It would. Yeah. Now, um, there's an old saying, uh, and I like old sayings, but uh, my, my dad, my grandpa always used to say, uh, work keeps me out of trouble. And for me, I believe it. <laughs> Working hard and staying busy on things that are good and positive Boy, that keeps me out of trouble. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about work today, but, but I wanted to share with you a book that I, I really love. I refer to it over and over, and I know it doesn't show up very well on the screen, but it's called What's Best Next by Matt Perman. This book is not just about uh, a good, it has a good theology of work in it. In other words, why do we as Christians work? But it also has some good ideas on how to work better, like how to get better at your job, how to get better at carrying out the work that, that the Lord has given us. So I'll just share that with you. First Peter, I, I've made the argument, First Peter is basically like a field manual for the Christian life. And uh, what the picture of life that First Peter paints is a picture of life uh, that, that we, are, we are exiles. We are sojourners traveling through this life on our way to our final destination. And that is back in the presence of God Almighty. And, and we understand that because Peter uses a lot of Exodus language earlier in his book. He, he, he points to, to he, he makes allusions to things that happened during the Exodus of Israel out of Egypt. And so we get the idea that we're on a sojourn here. And in fact, he calls us exiles and sojourners. And it would be easy for us as Christians to live our lives in such a way that we just we we come to Christ and then we kind of go into a holding pattern until we die. And Peter blows that argument completely apart and says, "No, no. While we're sojourning, while we're in exile, we have work to do. There's a specific way that we are to conduct ourselves uh, while we're in this world. Why? So that we can be part of that royal priesthood." In other words, we represent God on the earth in everything that we do. And today what we're going to discover is that we represent God in our work, in our work. So the big question for today is this, how should Christians conduct themselves as employees in this broken world? How should Christians conduct themselves as employees in this broken world? So let's start, let's start with just a big a big reminder, okay? And, and this reminder kind of got sparked in my head as I was reading through verse 19. 
Verse 19 says this, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, that's the phrase I want to focus on, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while uh, while suffering unjustly. We have to remember, brothers and sisters, before we even get into the text heavily, that when, when we come to Christ, when we experience and we hear and we respond to the gospel, it immediately changes everything about our lives. Before, we were living life for what? For our own flesh, for our own pleasure, to make life easy, to make it comfortable, to make it enjoyable for ourselves here now. But once we come to Christ, we understand that that this life is not the ultimate objective. The ultimate objective is to be reunited with God in the life that is to come. But while we're here, we can represent him well. And so we have to live our lives mindful of God. When we come to Christ, we begin to see what life, what this life is all about, and we we begin to see what God is doing, and we adjust our thinking, and we adjust our doing. It unpacks everything. Our new mission as Christians is not merely to work to earn a living, and that is important, right? We, the Bible says, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. It is important for us to understand that the means that God has given us to meet our needs physically is work. But we don't just merely work to earn a living, but to do so in such a way that we represent God as we do our work. I often say this, there's, there's what you do and then there's how you do it. You can do the right thing the wrong way, right? We want to do the right thing the right way, right? We want to do it God's way. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Here, here's some passages that remind us of what we're supposed to be doing, right? Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our good works on this earth are attractive. People see them and they say, wow, what is this person doing? What's going on? And you're able to open the door and tell them that you're working this way, you're living this way because you are submitted to God. And that allows them to give him glory. In Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, we see this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. You know these verses. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. But verse 10 is the one that often gets forgotten. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk or that we should live in them. We're not in God's waiting room here, folks. We are saved people who, while we're here, we are to carry out good works. We are to represent Christ well on the earth. Titus 2.14 He who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works, filled with zeal, filled with energy and passion for good works. That's the way we're supposed to live. And then John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you, Jesus said, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whether you, whatever you ask in my Father's name, he will give it to you. So while it is important for us to work, it's also to be mindful of God and to keep an eye on how we work. So let's get into the text. Uh, the first question I'll ask this morning is this. What if your boss is good? What if you have a, a really good boss? Look at verse 18. Servants, 
Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. What if your boss is good? Let me say a few things about the text here for just a minute. Servants, the word there is not the typical word we see in the Greek for slaves. That's doulos. That's not the word in this text. Uh, Although the NIV translation does translate this word as slaves, uh, the ESV, the King James, and other reputable translations translates it as servants. Now, I want to take a time out here and take a pause. Here's a trap that I fell into when I was younger about interpreting the Bible. I, I would hear a pastor or a preacher talk about a, a specific way of life in, the ancient, in ancient Rome and the ancient Near East, and I would, just, I would run with that in my mind, and, and my, I, my, my thinking was very single-faceted, like, well, this is just the way it was. People were slaves. There you go. And it was very one-dimensional. But I want to share with you this morning that as we look back at the context of this passage, we have to be honest and adult about this and recognize that, that there were a variety of different variables. For example, there, was, there were a variety of different reasons that people would find themselves as servants or slaves. I'll talk about that in a second. There were a variety of different types of masters, good and bad, and some in the middle. And there were a variety of different slaves. Some were who were diligent to do their work, and some that were very lazy and received the penalty for their laziness. So let's talk about that, okay? Because this is, this is it's, it's easy to read this and say, oh, this is, this is terrible, but, but there, there's, some, there's, some, uh, there's some birth to this, right? There's some, there's some uh, extremes here that you can get in, and, and there's a middle. So how could you find yourself to be a servant or slave? There were a few different ways. You might find yourself as a servant or slave in the ancient Near East because you were financially strapped. Maybe you were a good person and and you were just living your life and and something happened, some tragedy. Maybe the harvest was poor and you found yourself just financially destitute. You could then sell yourself into servanthood. You could sell yourself for a time into slavery uh, and work for somebody else. Uh, And that might go well, right? but you did so of your own free will. You, you also might be a slave because you committed a crime. And in the Roman Empire, uh, one of the possible penalties or sentences that you would receive for committing that crime would be a certain period of time in servanthood or slavery to a certain master, okay? Now, can you just see in your mind's eye? I mean, imagine that you're, that you're a person that needed some labor. One person's coming to you of their own free will and say, I'll work for you for so many years for this much money. Okay. And the other person's coming to you as someone who's a criminal. There's a difference there, right? One of them you're going to keep your eye on pretty, pretty tightly. And the other one you're going to say, okay, well, this, this is just a person that hit some hard times. You may also be a slave or a servant because you are part of an army who was defeated in battle. In other words, you were part of the bad guys and you got beat and the Romans then took you and sold you into servanthood. Again, different circumstances. Now, as far as servants go, you may be a servant or a slave who found favor in the sight of your master, of your owner. And that, that relationship might progress and often did progress to the point where the master would provide you with an education. They would treat you well. They would give you quite a bit of freedom. See, when we as Americans think about slavery, we typically superimpose 
American slavery from earlier in our country's history onto this. We think of people in shackles and chains. Oftentimes, this was not the case in the Roman Empire. Frequently, it was not. Uh, a slave might be tasked with going to run errands, get some things in the market, and then, you know, and then come back. And so there was, there was a lot of freedom there, right? So you might be well-treated, and you might even have, if you are a, a well-treated slave, you might even have the opportunity to earn your freedom at some point. And some historians say that roughly one out of five Roman citizens at one point in their life spent some time as a slave or a servant. It was just part of life back then. It was not, it didn't carry a big shameful uh, moniker with it. It just was the way life was. However, if you were a servant or slave who did not find favor in the sight of your owner, maybe the owner was harsh, maybe you were a lazy servant, whatever, if you did not find favor in your uh, owner's eyes, you could have been beaten, flogged, and lived a very short, hungry, and miserable life. So I just want to paint a picture and show you that there's, there's, there's a pretty wide berth here of what a slave-master relationship might be like and the circumstances in which you might find yourself a servant. And today, in the United States today, uh, bringing this context into today, uh, our relationship with our employers is very well-designed and well-informed by the law. We don't have slavery in the United States anymore or indentured servitude, although you could argue that, you know, we sell our time and our effort for certain hours a week to our boss, and, and that employer uh, has governance over us during that time, to a certain limited extent, right? We have a relationship with an employer, and we give them our time, we give them our, our effort, in exchange they give us money so that we can have our daily bread and our other provisions, and in the United States of America, I think that we would all safely say, I think the experiences in this room would dictate or would show us, illustrate, that there are people that have good bosses and there are people who have crummy bosses, right? Anybody ever been in a situation where you had a crummy boss? Nobody? Oh, lots of people raise your hand. Okay. All right. Brad, Pastor Brad raised his hand. He's in trouble. <laughs> I'm just teasing. He didn't raise his hand. He was thinking it, though. <laughs> we'll talk on Monday or Tuesday. We'll talk on Tuesday. Okay. So let's talk about this. Uh, be sub servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good but all, and gentle, but also to the unjust. Good, that word good in English means exactly what it means in Greek. Good means good. But gentle... Gentle has a little bit more, uh, there's a little bit more in the Greek that, that, that uh, is helpful. Gentle means not insisting on every right of letter of law or custom. It means yielding, kind, courteous, tolerant. This is the boss that understands when you come to them and you say, look, some bad situation is happening at home. I have to go take care of it now. I'm sorry, but I have to go. And the boss says, yes, please, your, your family is first. Go take care of your situation and come back when you can. That's that boss. It's not the boss. A gentle boss is not the boss that says, look, buddy, you are working from eight to five. This is happening during those hours. I don't care what you have to do, but you can't leave. You got to stay here and you got to work. That's not, the, that's not a gentle boss. So if you happen to be in a situation where you have a good and gentle boss, you have a good boss, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to submit, 
right? You're supposed to submit to arrange your life under them is I think the, the, the key thing, right? They're the ones that are employing you. They are the ones that are, are, have this arrangement with you where you give them your time and your effort. They give you money so that you can meet your needs, right? You're to submit to them. Also, we're supposed to show respect to them. And that means exactly what you think it means, uh, reverence, right? Now, let's just take a pause here for a minute and and recognize that right now in the United States of America, for a whole variety of different reasons, we are living in an employee's market, right? If you want to walk out of this room and go through those doors and get a job, we can probably get you a job within an hour, right? We can go to the Bob Evans, any fast food place. Shoot, there's probably people in here that would raise their hands and say, I'll hire you now. Yes, I need people. We're living in an employee's market. And so with that comes the temptation for folks to say, oh, you're mistreating me? I'm just gonna quit and move on to the next job because everybody's hiring right now and I can get a better deal somewhere else. And there's nothing wrong with getting a better deal. But, but I think we need to, I think one of the things that I, if I could get my wish that the United States, folks in the United States, especially our young people would understand is that, your employer had to work very hard to come up with a product or a service to go through all the different hoops that they needed to go through to get a license to do business and to fulfill all of the government regulations for safety and cleanliness and whatever, to write an employee handbook so that everybody understood the rules of the road for you to work in and and for them to provide for you a place to come to work and the tools that you need to do that work. And I, and I think that if I could get my wish, I think we would all be a little bit more mindful of that as we go about our time, especially if we're blessed with a good boss. Uh, in, in other words, for those, those bosses that treat us well. A couple of stories. When I, when I first graduated from college, I went to work as an engineer in a factory. It was a bearing factory. I know, glamorous stuff. It was a bearing factory, and my boss's name was Norm. And Norm was a good boss, a good boss. In that, he took good care of me, and he poured wisdom into me in my first five years as an engineer. I remember the first day I was working for him, he said this. He said, Scott, he said, you think that because you graduated from Purdue, you're a good engineer. And let me tell you, you're wrong. And I was offended by that, of course. And he said, 